this morning is from the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there this morning. It'll be on the board as we read it together. Galatians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 15 through verse 21. It's a rather longer text, and so I'll go ahead and just read as you follow along. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, you too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you have made it possible that we might know you. Lord, we know you in your life and your death and your suffering. Lord, we know you in your resurrection. And one day we will know you in your glory as we see you face to face. And Father, for this time as we walk by faith and not by sight, Lord, we look forward to that day to see you. But in the meantime, we will walk for you and in you. Lord, we pray that this text will illumine our hearts this morning, that we may be a greater source of kingdom expansion in Batesville. Lord, I pray that even now we are still thinking of those that we want to share the gospel with, the gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other gospel, though many people try to find salvation and satisfaction in other things. Lord, ultimately, our hearts have an insatiable desire to worship, and only an infinite God can satisfy our insatiable hearts. And so, Lord, I pray as we examine these core truths of our faith this morning, that you will once again enlighten us, empower us, Lord, that you will cause your spirit to shape us and cause us to be more like Christ to your eternal glory. Move me aside and speak to each and every one of our hearts this morning through your word. It is in your name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated and go ahead. If you haven't yet, turn in your copy of the word of God to the Galatians chapter two. And I wanna say something uh, about Reformation Day and, and why we talk about it so much and why we talk about the Reformation so much. It's, uh, it's not that um, we celebrate necessarily a man, although Martin Luther is certainly uh, a man that 
accomplished many great things and awakened the, the spiritual life of not only Germany, but ultimately started a spark that would send a wildfire across all of Europe and ultimately across the world and had a hand in the shaping of our country. We know he was a man of deep flaws. We don't agree with him on everything. Uh, I, I certainly agree with C.H. Spurgeon, who said that Baptists are the only true, thorough reformers. Uh, we brought the Reformation to its, uh, to its natural end, and of course, we are still reforming. Uh, Baptist and what I would call Baptistic churches, uh, uh, Bible churches and, and such. Uh, I think that we are the only true reformers. In 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapters 2, and, and really for about the first uh, three or four chapters, Paul is talking about how Christ is building a building, that we are a building, and he's referring to the temple, and Christ is the chief cornerstone, and the foundation is that of the apostles and the prophets, but then he goes on to say that, that you as a church, Corinth, you are the building of God, that you are building the next story, and then the next generation comes and builds the next story, and the next generation comes and builds the next story, and so on and so forth, and we are part of that grand building, that grand temple that Christ has been built himself building for 2,000 years. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and have literally given their lives so that we may have the word of God, not only in our own language, but that we may have the word of God and we may through it know Christ through faith alone. We honor those who have gone before us. That doesn't mean we agree with them on everything. Uh, reformers did some things that kind of make us scratch our heads today. They were, they were products of their time. That is, that, is, that is very much the case. But we do honor them for how the Lord used them. And that's why we talk about Reformation Day because it was an exciting floor in God's building. And it also reminds us that the Reformation is not over. It was not a monolithic movement. In fact, the Reformation, you may not know this, was not one movement. It was really six or seven different movements that, that all kind of overlapped each other. The Puritans, I would say, was the next part of that movement. The Dutch Reformed was the next part of that movement, and so on and so forth. It reminds us that the Reformation is not over. We are always reforming. We are always in need, there will be always a need for us to bring our lives into greater conformity with the word of God and with the scriptures and with the will of God. And this is certainly true for each and every one of us. Beloved, we are not perfect. And what the Reformation taught us is that when we sin, when we fail to be like Christ, we don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go for absolution. We don't have to go and trust in the word of man or the authority of an organization, we have direct access to Christ Jesus who offers us forgiveness in justification by faith alone. And that you and I have the ability to approach God, not through a series of intermediaries, not through a series of people where you have to kind of work your way up the ladder. We go directly to Christ. There is one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. 
And every time you sin, beloved, you don't have to live in that guilt. You don't have to live with this, this is idea that I've got to somehow bring my life back before God will accept me. No, God accepts you. He loves you. He died for you. You're covered in his blood. You are a new life in Christ. And so now you have the power. You are empowered through, the, through his resurrection and through the spirit to now bring your life into conformity and to his word. Not to get there, but because you are there in Christ. That's what the Reformation taught us. And it is, it is freeing. We don't live in the slavery and tyranny of our sins anymore because of what Christ has done for us. So yes, there's a need to always be reforming. And we see that in our text in the life of Peter. Uh, you know, some of you are like, oh no, he's going back to Galatians. We actually just finished our study in Galatians a few months ago and we had spent probably, huh, the better part of six months, I think, going through Galatians. And you probably remember this episode that happened where Peter had kind of, had kind of gone back to his Jewish roots. Uh, there were some Jewish delegates that came from the Jerusalem church and, and he started kind of being Jewish again and, and not really accepting them anymore and, and going back to the Jew guys and, and those kinds of things. And, and Paul had to stand up in front of everybody and he had to confront Peter and say, Peter, why are you doing this? Why are you going back to slavery? Why are you going back to a law that we cannot even keep and now you're demonstrating to the others that they've got to do what even we could not do? This was the man, Peter, who, who originally brought the gospel to the Gentiles. This is the man, Peter, who at the Jerusalem council defended his actions and said, listen, they don't need to become Jews first before they can become Christians. We need to become Christians like they are. That salvation is by faith alone and it has now been freed and let loose among the Gentiles. This is the man who defended that. And yet now he comes to Galatia and he's getting back into old habits, beloved there is always a need. We must always be reforming. We must always be striving to be more like Christ. But we don't do it in order to become in Christ. We do it because we are in Christ. Just like when you, many of you guys, you're veterans, you went to the military, you signed the paper, you are a soldier. Then you went to boot camp and became what you are. And beloved, in the same way, the life we live right now is our spiritual boot camp. We are becoming what we are. We are in Christ. And this life is all about becoming like Christ. And so this is what happened. It happened to Peter. It can certainly happen to us and probably has happened to all of us. And as, and as Paul goes on to talk about this confrontation, he then, in the verses we read, have, he gives a theological basis a doctrinal basis of why it was so important that he confront Peter at this time. And what we're gonna find in this text is that all five of the great doctrines that we celebrate on Reformation Day are represented in this text. And so we're gonna, we're gonna look at them just kind of one by one, the five ways. And if we are going to be always reforming, we must make sure that our faith and our lives are being continually shaped by these five biblical marks. These five biblical marks. And you can probably already say them. I know some of us can, can't you? 
Matter of fact, I've noticed some of us are wearing t-shirts this morning that have them written. I won't mention names. Her initials are Liz Allen. But <laughs> uh, I, I noticed her shirt this morning. They're actually written on her shirt. Uh, what is that, brother? Is that Calvin in a Santa Claus hat? Is that what that is? You're all on the naughty list. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that, yeah, there you go. That's Reformation theology, and that's total depravity right there. So, all right. So if we're going to be constantly reforming, if we're going to be always reforming, our lives must be continually shaped by these five biblical marks. And number one, what we see is that the first mark, and I would argue maybe the most important, well, maybe not, but it is by faith alone. Faith alone. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved through faith alone. No mixture of works Nothing, faith alone, regardless of our past. Look what, look what Paul says. We are not Gentile sinners. Like, we, we are not, we are Jews by birth. You know, the Jews assumed, and so did Paul at one point, that because Gentiles didn't have the law, they were automatically sinners, that, that they, were the, they were the other side of the track, and, and we're not gonna really mess with them because we know that we are the enlightened ones. We know that we are the good ones, he says that, uh, that because Gentiles didn't have the law, they were automatically sinners. And Paul here, making his argument at the law, he points out to the Galatians, look, we are Jews. We're not Gentiles. We are Jews. We understand the law. We have the history of the law. We understand the promises. We understand all of that. We are Jews by birth. But he goes on to say that we know that a person is not justified by works. We've tried it. We have attempted for thousands of years to be justified by works. And the, and the only thing that the law taught us is that we can't do it. That over and over and over again, our national heroes failed. Our kings led us astray. We did what was right in our own eyes. All of these things, that's all the law showed us. The law existed to show us that we were sinners. It was never there to save us. It cannot save us. All it has the power to do is condemn. In spite of our Jewishness, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. That word justified, you, that word needs to be close to your heart. It is the article upon which a church stands or falls. It doesn't mean that we are made righteous. This is what Roman Catholicism teaches. It teaches that God places righteousness within us and then based on that righteousness, we are saved. That's salvation by works. Justification means we are declared righteous. Even though we're not, we are declared righteous. We are, we are declared righteous righteous by faith. God looks at you, beloved sinner. God looks at you. And when you are justified, he sees you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not by any righteousness that comes from within you. 
Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That is faith alone. We are declared to be righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness, the great exchange. When Christ was on the cross and I accepted Christ as my savior, I called out to him for mercy. All of his righteousness was placed on me and all of my sin was placed on him. And I am completely forgiven. I am completely guilt-free. I am completely debt-free. It is finished on the cross. That's why I love that song we introduced. It was finished upon that cross. He has spoken this hope to me. And regardless of what you say about yourself, beloved, the word of Christ is more powerful than any negative thing that you may say about yourself. That when you are justified by faith alone, you are declared righteous in Christ. And that is our hope. That is what we stand upon. So that's the first mark. I've got five of these and I better get through them. Number two, comes only by placing our faith and hope in the one who is righteous for us. Number two, the second mark, if we are gonna be always reforming, it must be by scripture alone. Scripture alone. Look at verse 16. He says, now the promise, uh, that's chapter three, verse 16, chapter two. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works in the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, because we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You say, Randy, where are you seeing scripture alone there? Because Paul's not pulling this out of thin air. Even under inspiration, Paul is going back to his scriptural roots and he's explaining the implications of the scripture. And in this verse, he's actually referencing a psalm. Psalm 143.2, where it says, enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous before you. I have the NASB up there and it says the same thing. Do not enter into judgment with your servant for in your sight, no man living is righteous. Paul is not pulling this doctrine out of thin air. He is going back and he is, he is taking his scriptural roots and he knows that the scriptures say that no one living is righteous before God. So David pleads in the Psalm, God, please do not enter into judgment with your servant. Because if you did, no one is righteous. No one can stand before God. Oh God, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But there is forgiveness in you so that you may be feared. David is, excuse me, Paul is saying, look, we know this. We experience this. This is our, this is our understanding. We have tried this. We know from the scriptures, on the basis of scripture, that no one is righteous by the works of the law. All the, matter of fact, at the end of Deuteronomy, at the end of the law, all five books of the Bible, at the end of the law, Moses looks up at his people and he says, you have not been given a new heart to obey God. You cannot obey God. 
Whenever, whenever um, in Numbers, whenever um, there, were, there were different ones who were prophesying in God's name and, and Joshua came to Moses and said, and said, Moses, they're prophesying and, and, and you shouldn't let them do that. And Moses says, are you jealous for me? Don't be jealous for me. Every, all of God's people need to be moved by the Holy Spirit. You see, Moses diagnosed the problem. He knew that without the Lord's help, he knew that there was no way that any of these people could follow the law and history proved him right. And so Paul's not pulling these doctrines out of thin air. He's looking through the scriptures and he's saying, look, we know this, how? On the basis of scripture, we know this. Dr. Harry Wilmington, one of my Bible college professors, he's on with the Lord now. He wrote a book called Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. He always called it the green hernia because it was, it was like, it was like that thick. I mean, it's this huge book. And uh, a second edition of it came out right before he died and, and he was so proud of it. But one of the things Dr. Wilmington used to always say is that the Bible is not a book that men would write if they could and it's not a book that men could write if they would. The Bible tells the, the story of humanity in all of its depravity. Every one of its heroes are marred. Every one, every single Bible character that you look, the Bible goes out of its way to, to tarnish every single one of them except one, Jesus. You can be as strong as Samson. You're still not your own savior. You can be as pure as David. There's still Bathsheba to contend with. You can be as wise as Solomon. You are still not your own savior. No one is righteous before God. And Paul, going back to his scriptural roots, is showing this from the scripture. How do we know? Because on the basis of scripture alone. Beloved, this is what scripture alone means. It means that our ultimate authority for life and godliness for faith and practice and for everything is in the scriptures. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't learn from others. We went over this, sorry for the repetition in Sunday school, guys, but it doesn't mean that we can't learn from others. You know, we have creeds, we have confessions, we have all of those things that are helpful. All the reformers, except the radical reformation, the Anabaptists and such, all of them accepted the Nicene and Chalcedon creeds, and by the way, the Anabaptists made some serious errors because they didn't. We here at our church has, have a confessional statement every time the Baptist faith and message. And every time someone joins our church, I've gotten in the habit of handing them a copy of the Baptist faith and message and saying, hey, look, this is our confessional statement. And, and I want you to read it because as a member of our church, you're taking upon this confessional statement as your own. You're claiming as a part of this church, this document, the Baptist faith and message is my confessional statement. This is what I believe. But beloved, those things only have authority to the extent that they are consistent with scripture. That's the only authority they have. In fact, I have no authority over you as a pastor other than to be consistent in the word of God. If I ever tell you something that is not in this book, you are not accountable to it. You are not accountable to it. 
If, if the Baptist faith and message says something that is not consistent with the word, we are not accountable to it. We never will be. And so we're held accountable to the scriptures, not to creeds, not to church tradition. Jesus says in Mark 7, in Mark 7, 7, he says, in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When we start replacing the scripture with the commandments of men, we start worshiping in vain. Which, by the way, I think is the reason why they have to use a lot of lights and fog machines and all that to try to build up the, build up the crowd. Because they're teaching commandments of men and making them doctrines. And their worship is in vain, so they have to fill that void somehow. So how do they do it? With entertainment. With spectacle. Right? And so... They worship God in vain by teaching the commandments of men as doctrine. This is the massive difference between Protestant and Catholic teaching to this day. The Romans still believe that their church tradition is just as authoritative as scripture. And we say, no, on this book we stand. No other, everything else will shift out from beneath us. The fads of the day will come and go. Beloved, there is a Pope right now who is practically denying all the traditional values and morals of the Catholic Church, and he is the Pope. If he can do that, then there is no solid ground in their church. We have the solid ground because this book has not changed for 2,000 years, and it will never change. And so we stand on this alone, Scripture alone, we might have to turn this into two sermons. Would you guys be okay with that? <laughs> Ronnie back there, yes, <laughs> do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're, already, we're already past 11 o'clock, so let me give you one more. The third mark, if we're gonna be constantly reforming, then the third mark must be we have faith alone through, on the authority of scripture alone, but our faith is not just a vague concept of faith. Our faith has to have the right object. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. I love that hymn, in Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my rock, my shield, my song, this solid ground. And I can't remember the rest. But such a wonderful hymn that reflects that our faith is in Christ alone. Faith in Christ. Look what he says in verse 16. Notice, he doesn't say, saved by faith, saved by faith, saved by faith. But what does he say? But no one is justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Do you get the idea that maybe he's trying to emphasize something here? This over and over and over again, faith in Christ, faith in Christ, faith in Christ. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is important. Why is it so important that we teach the scriptures? Why is it so important that we preach the truth? Because faith in and of itself will not save you. But faith in Christ is what saves you. 
It's not the greatness of our faith. It is the greatness of our Savior that we put our faith in. It is not the greatness. You are not saved by how great your faith is. You're saved by how great your Savior is. That's what we're saved by. Faith alone in Christ alone. Mark chapter 12, uh, he kind of talks about this. But, he ta- but Jesus says that there in those last days, there will be many false Christ out there. If, if there is any one thing, and I'm not a newspaper in one hand, Bible in the other hand kind of guy, you know that. But if there is one thing that I think that is pointing closer and closer to the return of Christ is that we are seeing a multitude and we are seeing a, just a multiplying of false Christ out there. People claiming that they're seeing Christ on stages and he's appearing physically. Uh, there's, there's, um, by the way, there's a new Bible translation that's coming out and it's coming out in stages. It's called the Passion Translation. I cannot emphasize how bad this translation is. And the translator claims that Christ came to him in his room and downloaded secrets of the Hebrew language and the Greek language. And then he took him up to heaven so he can see the heavenly library and all of this stuff. Beloved, he did not see the Christ of the Bible, assuming he saw anything at all and he's not lying, which I think he is. Even if he saw something, it was not the Jesus of the Bible. Even if he saw something, it was a deceptive spirit. He needs to be reading his Bible, not trying to translate it. Do not buy that translation, by the way. It's, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And yet people are clamoring to this. People are following this in droves. They're following churches like Bethel and and all these others in droves. Why? Why are they doing it? Because for them, Scripture is not enough. And Christ is not enough. We want more. I want to experience God more. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know Christ more. We, we sang that, but we understand that we want to know Christ more. We don't want to know more than Christ. All the difference in the world there. And so in Christ alone, we place our faith. Not just any faith will do. Beloved, George Michael is a liar. You do not just gotta have faith. Faith, the faith, the faith. You gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. No no matter how many times he says it, faith in and of itself is not good. Not some vague concept of faith, but faith in what? You gotta have the right object. You can have the greatest faith in the world and be sincerely misled. Can't you? You can. Lots of people are. That's why we need to be getting the true gospel out, beloved, because there are people out there who are very sincere in their faith, but they are sincerely misled and they're placing their faith in the wrong objects. They're placing their faith in the wrong things. Beloved, your salvation is not determined by the greatness of your faith, but by the greatness of the one whom you've placed your faith in. Your faith must be in Christ alone, in the Christ of the scriptures, by scripture alone. 
and the Christ that the scriptures testify to, not the Mormon Christ, not the Jehovah's Witness Christ, not, not Mary, not, I mean, take your pick. Christ alone as found in scripture alone is our faith. And it is to him alone we place our faith in. You know, some people will say, well, I, I, I have faith in Christ. We just add this other thing here so that, you know, we can just kind of take the extra step. You know what the scripture says about that? Galatians chapter five, verses one and two. You know what he says? Toward the end of this book, he says, look, beloved, in fact, turn there. I don't think I have this on the board. I was waiting for it. Um, you're in Galatians anyway. Turn to Galatians 5, 1. And what Paul says here, he says in verse two, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, keep in mind what's happening here. Yes, we have faith in Christ, but now we gotta complete the transaction. Yes, faith in Christ gets us so far, but then we're gonna be circumcised to finish it off. We're gonna, we're gonna have faith up until this point and then we're gonna do some work, some baptism, some speaking in tongues, whatever it is. We're gonna do these sacraments, whatever it is. We have faith up to this point and then we're going to add these things just to kind of complete the transaction. And Paul says, look, if you do that, if you accept circumcision, watch this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So important, he says again, I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. And when we were preaching through Galatians, you remember what I said, if you pay the price for the buffet, you better get ready to eat everything on it. If you pay to get in Golden Corral, you better eat everything they have on display. Otherwise, you don't stand a chance. And if you accept the entry point of keeping your salvation by works, if you take that step, then you better be ready to keep the whole law because that's what it obligates you to. If you wear the T-shirt, you gotta be on the team. If you wear the jersey, you gotta be on the team. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Anything that is added to that will nullify our faith because it's not faith anymore. Uh, Revela uh, Revelation, Romans, Romans chapter 11, um, verse, uh, man, I didn't write it down either. Verses uh, five and six, I believe. Watch what he says here. Look what he says. He says, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant, watch this, chosen by grace. And watch this in verse six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be, oh, there it is. Grace would no longer be grace. If you add any works to grace, you are no longer saved by grace. It is 100% one or the other. And self-righteousness, law righteousness is a condemning lie. The only thing it earns you is eternal damnation. 
You cannot be saved by any works, not one work, not any works, not a whole bunch of works. We are only saved by faith alone in Christ alone, on the authority of scripture alone. That's all we've got time for today. We'll come back to the rest next week. But listen, beloved, let me ask you a question. Are you, are you struggling with your sin this morning? Are you struggling with habits you can't break? You're struggling. Parents, maybe you're struggling with your kids and, and you know you need a better parent, you need to be a better parent, but you're just always having that constant struggle. Maybe you're struggling with a habit. Maybe it's on the computer. Maybe it's stuff you put in your body. Maybe it's, maybe it's whatever. And you think, man, I cannot, get, I cannot get the hang of this. I know I believe in Christ. I love Christ, but I've got this sin I cannot defeat. I must not be a good Christian. Beloved, your goodness is not based on what you do. It is based on what Christ has done for you. And the first thing you need to go back to is understand that your righteousness is in Christ alone. And that is what's gonna give you the power to overcome your sin. Become what you are. You are in Christ. And now you're empowered to be like Christ. So beloved, if you're here this morning and maybe that's not the gospel you're believing, maybe you're believing a gospel of self-righteousness, maybe you're, if, if I were to ask you this morning, I am saved by, or I am saved because, what are you looking to in your life to prove your salvation? What, I am saved because I walked an aisle at a certain age, I prayed a prayer, I did this. Is your faith in something that you've done or is your faith in Christ, in Christ alone? I'm not saying those other things didn't play a part in your coming to faith in Christ alone, but your salvation is not in those things. It's not in a prayer you prayed. It's not in, a, it's not in an aisle you walked. It's only in Christ. And beloved, maybe you're here and you're struggling with that reality. You, you're not sure that God loves you, that he's, still, that he's still for you. You're not sure that I, I'm just struggling with all the sin and, and I am doing all, what, what do I need to do? You need to go back to the basics. That I am in Christ. And that is my identity. That is who I am before anything else. I am in Christ because he saved my soul. And maybe you're here this morning and that, that's not a reality for you. I would love to talk to you. And I would love to show you how you can place your faith alone in Christ alone. And guess what? I'll show it to you from scripture alone. And so would you come this morning and would you have Christ as your savior? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you for the love that you have given us and the working out of these truths in your sovereign plan. Lord, I don't know why you chose to save me. I don't know why you've chosen to save anyone. It's nothing I've done. It's nothing I've earned nothing that I could ever do. I could never repay back all the grace you've shown me. 
Lord, and that's the testimony of every person in this room, that we will spend eternity learning the depths of the riches of your grace. And we will never come to the end of it. It is a never-ending sea. It is a never-ending journey. Your infinites, your, your total infinite, who you are is the only thing that can fill our insatiable hearts. Lord, we will never run to the end of you. So I don't know why. Who, when I consider all the works your hands have done, Lord, who am I that you would look so kindly upon me? Who are any of us that you would look so kindly upon us? Lord, I don't know why you've chosen to save us, but I know this. We are going to worship you forever because of it. So Father, I pray this morning, if there's one here that that is not a reality in their lives, I pray this morning would be the morning that you would draw them to yourself. I pray right now, right here, right now, Lord, if I pray that you would make this conviction so strong that they cannot even enjoy their meal until they get this settled. It's not by accident they're here today. And I pray that you are even now drawing them, convicting them, and bringing them to you. I wanna ask you to stand and just, uh, and just reflect, ask your heart some questions this morning. Soul, what is my satisfaction in? Just bow your heads and close your eyes and just reflect upon the truths that we've learned today. And just ask your soul, what am I trusting in? What am I relying upon for my goodness? Is it myself? Is it things I've done? Or is it because the infinite grace of God has touched me? That love and justice has kissed in my life and has come together on the cross of Jesus Christ for me. And if there's anything else that you're answering your soul with, I invite you to come. I'll invite you to a, a private place where you and I can talk and you can know how you can be saved, how you have Christ and how he can have you. And if you're struggling with sin and you're saying, does God still love me, beloved, because of the grace of God, because of justification by faith alone, I can tell you with all scriptural authority, he does. And he will never let you go. And maybe your problem is that you need to stop trusting in yourself and instead place your identity in Christ where it belongs. Be amazed the power you get when you stop trying to be something you're not and place yourself in the one who is.